This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to sit down and talk with my friend, Jess Vanderweer, or you may know her as Our Mama Village on Instagram. Jess runs an amazing parenting platform that supports you on your respectful parenting journey. She's been here to talk about the purpose of discipline in episode number 24, and today I've brought her back to have a really important conversation about consent. We'll dive into what it looks like to talk about consent, why it's so important, and what kinds of consent we should be teaching our kids. Jess and I will talk about what consent looks like in our own homes, as well as how to have conversations with and set boundaries around consent with family members. I know growing up for myself personally that consent wasn't really something that was talked about or taught from our parents. So I hope that you all gain some really useful and helpful tips in this conversation. So pour your cup of coffee or lace up those shoes, buckle your seatbelt wherever you are, get ready to dive in to this conversation with Jess. Before diving in, I want to share our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Toddy Potty, I think is what it says. And it is entitled, Exactly What You Need. This podcast is a blessing. We just brought home our second baby and I've been overwhelmed with everything and every aspect of my new season of life. This podcast has helped me tremendously. It's helped me grow an understanding for what I've already been going through and take a moment for myself to listen to professionals explain topics in a very knowledgeable but understandable way. Love the average hour length of these podcasts. Love the guests she brings on to the show. Love the psychology-based background. Truly my favorite podcast of all time. I've listened to every episode and loved every podcast, even the ones I didn't think I would relate to. That's how great each and every episode is. Oh my goodness, I've got goosebumps reading this review. Thank you so much for taking the time. And it is just mind-blowing to me that you've tracked with me through, I don't even know, what episode number are we on now? We're in the 70s. And it is just so meaningful that you've tracked through this. And not even just for me, but that you've gained something from every single episode. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to leave this review. And I really appreciate anything that you guys can do to get the word out there. Sharing episodes with mommy friends or leaving reviews, that is bread and butter for podcasters and creators like me. So thank you for taking the time to leave this review. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. 
Jess, thank you so much for making the time to be with us on the podcast today. I know that I've had you on in the past and you and I are great friends. I love the opportunity to just hang out with you and catch up. So thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Erica. I know I was so excited. We haven't caught up in just way too long. It's been crazy. So I'm just pumped to talk today. And of course, to talk about consent is always exciting. Yeah, I remember when you first started talking about consent on Our Mama Village and some of those posts went really viral and people are looking for information in terms of understanding consent, teaching our children about consent. Before we get into it, for those who may not have listened to your previous episode, how did Our Mama Village form? How is it going? How are things over in the Our Mama Village world? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I'll try and give kind of a quick synopsis of how we formed. Before having my own kids, I think a lot like you, I was working with children and families. I actually did a lot of work about consent. We'll probably get to that later, but I taught a lot of classes to families and I did a lot of work with kids that had dual diagnosis or intellectual disability. From there, I had uh, my own daughter and it just kind of turned my world around as I'm sure so many people can relate to. I had preterm labor. I ended up being on bed rest for four months and it just, my pregnancy went nothing like how I expected. Then postpartum, I struggled a lot with postpartum anxiety and that whole first year was just really, really hard. And I felt to myself as a therapist, you know, we go to school for eight years. We're already working with families. How was I so unprepared for the mental health struggles that come with being a parent? Right. And After this journey, I just said to my husband, like, I think I want to start talking still about behavior and children, but also talking about how parents' mental health impacts the way that we see our kids and parenting and how we can't just talk about parenting and children and development, all this stuff without talking about parents' mental health. Right. So that's kind of where our, our mama village started. And now that was about three and a half years ago. I just said, I'll just start a blog. We'll see if anyone's interested. And now the community has just grown and it's so incredible. And yeah, that kind of brings us to here. Yeah. I think you're approaching like 400,000 on Instagram too, aren't you? Yeah. Am I doing the math right? It's so wild. Yeah. Yeah, It's so wild. Crazy. Amazing. And I come from like a similar background from like a behavioral perspective and, Mm -hmm. and kind of having these aha moments of like, wait a minute, dealing with just this isolated behavior does not address the system, does not address the family, does not address how we're tethered to each other mm-hmm. in our moods or the stresses and tensions going on in the house. So I also expanded into understanding how parents and children kind of co-regulate together, right? Because it's such an important piece to understand. Well, it's such a huge piece of it. You can't just look at solely the child's behavior or you know, what's going on with the children's mental health without seeing the whole family system as a whole. And I think we really miss something huge when we do that. So this work of just holistically looking at the family as a whole and how can we help the parents to help the kids has just been really powerful. Yeah. Today we're diving into it. Like I feel like co-regulation would be a whole other fun episode that we could probably bunny trail down. (laughs) (laughs) I should mark that one down because that's a really great one. But in terms of the topic that we're here to speak about today is consent. And for those who are not really maybe familiar with what that means or what that implies, what are we talking about today when we're talking consent? Yeah, we are talking about um, helping our kids feel in control of their bodies, knowing that their no means no if they don't want to be touched, they don't want to be hugged. 
And really, yeah, the piece is that they are in control of their bodies. They have the final say over who touches them, who doesn't touch them. And really, it's creating a culture uh, to decrease our children's vulnerability to abuse as they're getting older. So it is a heavy subject. And I think a lot of this work does come into taking care of ourselves as parents and noticing those triggers as well. So as we go through this, I think it's important to be mindful of that. Yeah. And I I know that it's a topic that probably most of us growing up were not um, like sort of skilled in or talked through Mm -hmm. or taught about very much. So it's kind of, I feel like a new, when we think about this 2021 parenting and the sort of new things that are under our belt (laughs) that we're learning, it's one of those new things that we're trying to have open conversations about, just like I'm going to be recording an episode in a few weeks on like social justice, parenting and Mm anti-racism and how we raise our children to be inclusive, right? That was not something maybe prioritized in previous generations. But as we learn and as we grow, we take on these new, like really important, valuable pieces and instill them in our children. Yeah. So when we're talking consent and kids, where the heck do we even start? And like, at what age? I feel like it's a really big kind of daunting topic. And how do we start like in age appropriate ways? For sure. So I actually talk about we can start kind of building a culture of consent in our home as babies. And the way that we do it might change as our children kind of get older. But I wanted to just yeah touch on your point of I think the reason why this topic feels overwhelming and the reason whenever I talk about it, my posts seem to go viral is like exactly like you said, I don't think most of us had these discussions when we were growing up. I know for me, I didn't even really know anything related to like private parts, sexuality, even my period until it was basically happening. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is what happens. Right. Like our own basic anatomy, like vagina versus vulva versus like clit urethra, like all these things. There was a lot of a shame associated with having these conversations. Oh, big time. And now whenever I talk about it on Our Mama Village, I hear from people like, I don't even know how to label my own body part or I don't feel comfortable. So if we go back to babies, one of the first things I say is let's just use anatomically correct names. When children know the anatomically correct name for their body part, it helps protect them about uh, being abused, it helps them feel more comfortable going to you if you ha- if even they have a medical issue, like they're itchy, they have a rash. But a lot of parents don't even feel comfortable or know the correct anatomically correct words to say. And that's because we weren't taught that either. And because our parents wouldn't know, and it's not anyone's fault, this is a new conversation that we're having. Yeah. It reminds me of um, this conversation I had with the boys the other night because I am the only girl in this boy-dominated house. And the kids hit different ages where they're popping in and out of the bathroom. And they're like, Mommy, where's your pee-pee? You know? Pee-pee, penis, however we address it, usually pee-pee. And and it was like, can I see? Like, where's your pee-pee? I don't understand. Can I see? Can I whatever? And then there's just, like, lots of questions. Mm -hmm. And so I actually pulled up, like, cartoon drawings to try to give a bit of a sense of, well, this is what, you know, mommy's body would have looked like as a kid. And this is what your body Mm -hmm. looks like. And, you know, mommy's body is different and whatever. And to the extent that they had questions, Mm -hmm. I attempted to give, you know, those age appropriate answers. And then 
they were cool. Yep. And they moved on to a different topic and it was really natural. But my, my husband was kind of on the sidelines like, is this really necessary yeah. to talk about after age? All three of the kids, like I'm like laying on the bed with my phone and piling up these like drawings. <laughs> All three kids are piled up on top of me, looking at the phone, asking me questions. And, and he's kind of like comes into this conversation from in a different <laughs> room. And it's like, about? what's going on in here? <laughs> right? It's like all of a sudden it's like sex ed happening yeah. in the bedroom before bed or whatever. But they had questions. I answered them. They were curious, which makes sense. Yeah. And then we just kind of naturally moved on from it. it. Like it was no thing. And that's like what you did is exactly what I tell parents follow your children's lead. They're going to have these natural questions. If you don't have an answer right away, or you're like, oh, I don't know, like how to say, to say, that's a really great question. We're going to come back to it. Thank you for asking me. Just making sure that they don't feel shame. There's nothing wrong with being curious about these things. It's very natural. And like exactly what you did, just answer them to their level, to exactly what they're asking. You don't need to go above and beyond and give them the whole sex talk right away. <laughs> and uh, they will naturally just kind of move on if they see that you're really shame-free and that it's something it's safe and it's okay to talk about. Kids mostly will just kind of hear it and be like, okay, and move on. Right. So before we dive more into like how to have some of these conversations or like kind of like tips for parents, mm-hmm. Can we really dive into why this is important yes. for us to be talking about these things? Because I think that's a sidebar conversation my husband and I mm-hmm. had to have, like, just to sort of explain my logic around why this is important. And once, you know, we talked it through, he totally understood. So but what, what did you say to him that helped him? understand. Well, I explained that it's important for them to know their body parts so that they can know what is private and theirs and for them to touch and not touch. I also, and this is a piece that I want to get to later, have a child that I'm not entirely convinced is an ADHD yet. Like we're waiting it out because he's still kind of at that cusp age where we would diagnose it. So he has like a lot of impulse control stuff. And so also for him to know what parts are appropriate to touch on another Mm -hmm. person and are not appropriate. So the more we normalize this conversation, we take shame out of it. Like I don't ever want them to feel shame coming to me about a conversation to do with their bodies ever, ever, ever. Because I remember... And I'm sure we probably can all pull on some memories where we may have been either curious with our own bodies or curious about looking at other people's bodies or just different things and feeling kind of traumatized by our parents' reactions to that, Mm -hmm. you know? So for me, it was about like extinguishing shame, having open dialogue, having a trust that they can ask those questions. And then also the safety piece, which Mm -hmm. I know is a a big piece of why we're having this conversation. No, I love that. And something that I tell parents when they're feeling uncomfortable about having these conversations is your child is going to be curious and they're going to try and find out the answer. So wouldn't we rather it be from us in our home in a way that we can present it to them and they know they can come to us with these conversations rather than at school with their peers or on the playground or, you know, trying to explore with a peer because they're curious and they want the answers to these questions. Mm -hmm. We really do have that opportunity to say it ourselves and have our children know that they can come back to us, which I think is just really powerful and important to remember that they will learn the information. So let's just let it be from us first. Yeah. So to kind of keep going along with that, I thought, yeah, we could talk about a few reasons why this is just super important. So first off, like you said, outside of 
shame. So we want to make sure that our children don't feel that shame talking about their body parts, talking about consent, that they know that they're allowed to say no. So we can model that in just the simple things like if they don't want a hug, like my four-year-old is really starting to assert that no now. She's kind of like me in that I'm not a super touchy person. Like I'm not a super huggy person all the time. And she's kind of like that too. So I'll try and cuddle her sometimes. She's like, I don't Mm want to be cuddled, mommy. And it's like, okay, yes, you don't want to be cuddled. I'm not going to force that on you. Um, I respect that you don't want that. So having them realize that they are the boss of their body and they have control and feeling like they can actually assert that control with us is that's kind of the first step. Yeah, that's a really big one. I think that I think about grandparents Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, you know, grandma really wants a hug. It would make her feel so happy. Give her a hug or oh, it makes mommy really sad when you don't give mommy hugs and kisses. Give mommy hugs and kisses. And we like, I don't know if it's like a road or I don't know what it is. It's Mm kind of like a guilting thing or whatever. And don't just take their no. And I distinctly remember my oldest. He's really snuggly at bedtime, especially. He loves to like snuggle. But there was an age he just decided he Mm -hmm. didn't want any more kisses. Like it it was just like something like switched in him and it was like germs or it was something he's like six now. I don't know if it's like, Oh gross. It's my mom. Like, I don't know what, (laughs) what stage it happened. And so kisses are not a thing. And that is totally okay. Sometimes if he does want to give kisses, he wants to be in control of them. He Mm -hmm. wants to do them on my cheek and he wants to be the one sort of, you know, and I respect that. And there is no, like, would I love to, like, have his kisses and, like, be all up in his face and squish him? Mm-hmm. Of course I would. But I'm going to respect what his comfort level is in and when he wants to snuggle and have that affection mm-hmm. and when he doesn't. Yeah, and what that does is doing that in the home lets them start to realize, okay, so other people, not even my parents, can touch me, kiss me, come into my personal body space without my consent. So you're right away building that foundation that if somebody else would try and enter that space, they would know that that's not okay and they can come to you and talk to you about it. So that's why when grandparents even are like, well, they should give me a hug. I try and explain that to them. Like, this is why we don't force hugs, why we don't force kisses on the kids, why we don't guilt them, because we want them to realize that if somebody else who's not safe, like, thank goodness you're safe as a grandparent, but somebody else who's not safe tries to come in and do that, they know right away that that's not okay. Mm-hmm. So them learning their no and being able to assert themselves on their comfort level is a big piece. Mm-hmm. The safety piece, like safe forms of touch, is another really big, important piece of why mm-hmm. we teach this, right? Yeah, safe forms of touch. So I do talk about the whole body actually as a private area. I know people have different ways that they talk about it. I say your whole body is private. Your body is yours. You have control over who touches it. But then I do say to my kids and to the kids I'm teaching, even in addition to that, if anybody tries to touch your private areas, and those are areas that would be covered by your swimsuit, and then I'll label those areas using the anatomically correct names again. So it might be your penis, your vulva, your yeah. your breasts, your bum, or and then I also say your mouth because that would technically be a private area as well. If anyone ever, ever, ever tries to touch those areas, right. shows you their private areas, asks you to touch their private areas because you want to make sure it goes both ways. Right. Yeah. Those are hard discussions and parents say, 
do I really have to talk to my kids about that? You know, it's so uncomfortable and I don't want to take their innocence away. And like, I hear that. And at the same time, I mean, we know that abuse happens. It can happen in the classroom. It can happen peer to peer in the bathroom. It can happen in different areas. So even though it feels like we're stealing their innocence by talking about these big topics, we really are protecting it. And we're really equipping and empowering our children to live safely. And I talk about this the same as we teach our kids road safety. We teach our kids, hopefully, internet safety. That's a whole other episode we could do. <laughs> we teach our kids <laughs> totally. safety in all these other areas. So this is just body safety. It's, we don't, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It's body safety. Yeah. And I think about it in terms of my kids. We recently got them a book, Don't Touch My Hair as a form of teaching them that they... Oh, I have that one. I love it. Yeah, teaching them that they have, like when you're talking about our whole body is like a private area, like our whole body needs permission from others to touch, right? Because Mm -hmm. my kids are biracial and each of their hair is different in texture, which is really cool. But people love to get their fingers in their hair, even like kids at their daycare and stuff. Mm. And we've been working just on being able to say, well, like, you know, you have to ask to touch my hair or if you don't want them to touch, like what you can say and things. So mm-hmm. so it goes beyond like these conversations, yes, are really important. And we have to have these like more kind of in-depth, uncomfortable ones about like, you know, covered parts. And those are important. But like you said, this is whole body stuff. This goes beyond just these preventing abuse type of conversations. This is like everyday interactions for us with our kids on the playground. And it might even in some ways, I don't know, this may be a stretch, but in some ways I think that it can even relate to like things that are our items. So I think about siblings and I think about Mm -hmm. their belongings or their room or their space or anything that is considered like sort of sacredly or importantly theirs. Mm -hmm. I think that consent can be like those areas too, like anything that we should be asking permission for or we shouldn't take that is not ours. I feel like that relates to this conversation. Would you say so? Oh yeah, for sure. When I used to teach, so I didn't really say this, but I used to teach consent for like eight years in actually elementary schools and high schools and special education classrooms because children with intellectual disabilities often don't get any of the sex ed curriculum that typical classrooms get. So when I was in my undergrad, I was a part of this pilot program and we researched consent and we made this course. And anyway, I taught it for a long time. I only stopped last year, but we would do this game called uh, stop, go, maybe. And we would put up things like the bathroom and the bathroom is even though it's not us, it's a private space. Right. So we can talk about, okay, that's a private space. How does consent work within a private space like a bathroom or the bedroom or your bed or your special toys? So it was exactly what you're saying. And if we think about our private space as a bubble, those things would be within our bubble and people have to ask to enter into those spaces and it's your control whether or not you would like them to. Yeah. And I think about like all of my boys and their temperaments are so different. I think about my oldest and I would say he's got like a really big bubble, (laughs) right? Like if we're going to visualize it, he's got his own space. He's particular. He likes his things a certain way. He just kind of does his own thing. And then I've got my second born who is more like requires a lot of sensory input and sensitivities, really rough and tumble 
and loves to get right up in there. Mm -hmm. His bubble is like non-existent. Like you have to be like (laughs) shaking him. And then he's like, you know, that's like he likes it. Like he wants you all up in his space. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it is constant conversations between them about consent or they like to ninja fight, for example. And they like Mm -hmm. to play fight. Play fight can be really like weapon play or play fight and can be really healthy for them. But I'm constantly Mm -hmm. teetering this line of, is everybody happy with the amount of pressure Mm -hmm. and touch right now? Like if somebody's saying, ow, or somebody's crying, that's your sign that this is no longer enjoyable for everybody play fighting Mm -hmm. right now. And so I feel like there is this component of us teaching consent to our kids about like how others can touch them and interact with them. And then there's this other piece, particularly for my more like impulsive or like less of a bubble, like really sensory oriented kid, like loves to be all up in there. So there's a lot of conversation with him about like respecting other people's bubbles and consent as well. And that's a big part of our conversations at home. Yeah, I think it has to be a two way. We have that too, because I have a four year old and like a 16 month old. It's a 16-month-old, now a little toddler. She's independent. Right. She's getting into things. My four-year-old still sees her as a baby. So she'll try and like treat her like a baby or pick her up and walk her around. And my little toddler is like does not want that to happen at all. So she'll start screaming and crying. So it's similar in that, okay, that's a conversation about she actually has control over her body. And do you see the way her face looks? She doesn't look like she wants to be touched or picked up right now. And that means we have to step back. So I think a lot of these conversations should be had both ways, which actually protects our kids as well when they go to school because they know how to interact with their peers and it, it keeps them out of getting into sticky situations with their peers at school as well. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. 
Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherine Areem's Psyched Mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code rage20. So what might be some things like for parents who have a child who maybe is more impulsive or maybe has some intellectual delays or is ADHD or on the spectrum or something like that, what are some things that they can concretely use to, and and you had mentioned some, to help in the moment, like data, Mm -hmm. to teach their kid what is working in that moment and what is not? You know what we do a lot of is role play. Okay. And so I like to do it kind of outside of the moment because in the moment is often like their, that kind of impulse is not there. They're already kind of feeling overwhelmed or overstimulated. It's harder to kind of teach things in the moment. On OMV, I talk a lot about like teach them when they're teachable. So when they're calm, I would like have these conversations about, you know, sometimes when we're rough playing, it's hard to see when someone wants you to stop, maybe let's practice that. And if the siblings will do it together, or you can just kind of make it fun. So have the one person make like a certain face and be like, okay, is that the kind of face that says stop? Does that face say go? Or does that face say "Hmm, maybe? And uh, then the other child can try and determine whether or not that means to keep playing. So we would do like different role play scenarios, things that can also help just kind of strengthen that impulse control is also games like uh, red light, green light, what time is it, Mr. Wolf, things like that can be really helpful in practicing impulse control, just having that conversation about when your brother says this and maybe just have like a really concrete word that he can say, whether it's stop, what are we gonna do? We're gonna stop, we're gonna take a step back and we're gonna take a breath. And just having a plan for those moments, that can really help as well. Yeah, I like that a lot. We do a lot of like 
dance dance freeze or like the pause game Mm -hmm. you know things like that and inevitably (laughs) my one is like five steps out before he actually like that he hears the word and it makes it to his like body to like pause and stop himself meanwhile the other ones are like frozen in place and and so we practice and he gets better at it right Mm -hmm. and he's also still like toddler four years old like he's still very much in that uh, regulating impulses is hard for yes. any child. Like that's why we see all these cookie videos of, <laughs> you know, on TikTok. It was like a big thing probably a year ago or so, where they were like putting, and we know this from from like psychological experiments as well. But putting like cookies in front of their kids and then like walking away mm. for a minute, and toddlers are just like downing them because you know they they don't have those skills. No, I see that in my four year old as well. Like what, when she's holding her sister, I'll be like. Amelia, please stop holding your sister. You can see her face. She doesn't like it. And it'll be like 30 seconds later, she's like, oh, okay. And she'll like put her sister down and walk away. But it does take a while to register that. (laughs) And that's partly to do with the age. Totally. Mm -hmm. Um, I did want to kind of circle back to teaching those anatomically correct names. I think we kind of briefly talked about it. Yeah. But I know I, I do get a lot of pushback every time I talk about it, just saying like, is that really necessary? So I just kind of wanted to talk about why and like some of the research behind that, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Let's do it. So children, they studied children, all sorts of children and children who knew the anatomically correct names for their body parts were at a decreased risk of abuse. And when they also studied the perpetrators of abuse, it was shown that perpetrators were a lot less likely to target children who understood the anatomically correct names of their body parts, partly because what we're thinking is they know that those children have had those conversations with their parents. The children will be more likely to be able to tell their parents exactly what happened. I know when I was working with children, I worked with many children who were sexually abused and a lot of them, it took us a very long time to actually understand what happened because they didn't have the words for their body parts. Right. And they didn't know really how to explain what happened to them or where it happened. And even when it goes to court, that can be really challenging because if the children don't have the right words to express what's going on, the perpetrator might not even be sentenced for the, the correct amount of time because we can't label where it was touched or what happened. Yes. And... Those are obviously like the worst case scenario, like horrible reasons that we never ever want to get to. Right. But I think it is important to just have that rationale as to why it is important to have those those words for your kids. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. I call this like an occupational hazard where we have probably seen and heard of more cases of things than, you know, anybody really ever wants to hear or know about in a lot of areas. Yeah, for sure. I worked in family practice and family law and custody and access yeah. and the types of things that you're exposed to really open our eyes to the things that happen in the world. And so we definitely want to teach from that perspective and like protect them. And then there is also for me who didn't experience any of those things growing up, but had a lot of shame about my body because I didn't understand it. Like, I'm pretty sure my vagina was probably referred to as like my butterfly for like my whole life. Like, what does that (laughs) even mean? Right? Getting married or being in relationships and not understanding even my own anatomy, Mm -hmm. you know, can lead to a lot of shame when you're having conversations with whether it's like partners or like health professionals 
thank God we have Google now. We can pretty much figure anything out for ourselves. So definitely that safety piece. And I love the research that you shared to really illustrate that. And it's an interesting feeling as a parent when, and maybe I'm fresh in this right now because my second is about to start JK in the fall. But there is this, like, my kids were home with me in, like, our safe bubble of our family Mm -hmm. until they go to school. And then when my kids start to, like, branch out and go to school, there is this, like, oh, my gosh, they have this whole life outside of me that I can't control Mm -hmm. all of the elements, right? Like, I don't always know who's present. And there is just that bubble becomes expanded. And so equipping them with the right skills is just so important for that. For sure. It can help us feel safer sending our kids to school and it just sets the stage for us to have those conversations. And yeah, that shame piece I think is really key. Like even as adults, I definitely didn't grow up. I don't just don't think anatomy was even referenced uh, (laughs) to me as a child like that. Right. You know, we just in a good Christian home, you just would never, ever talk about that kind of stuff. Right. So yeah, then you get married or you're in relationships and you're like, I don't even know my own proper names, never mind to talk about it and like have conversation about it. And I hear that from moms all the time on our mama village. Like when I talk about anatomically correct names, they're like, can I say vulva to my child? Like, I don't even want to say that about myself. Right. And so there is that shame piece of it's okay to say the word vulva and it might take some of that work to see that it's just a body part and just like we would label an elbow or your lips or your nose yeah you can label your body parts all of your body parts and there's no shame that has to be alongside that yeah and this brings up an even bigger conversation which maybe we can just like Mm -hmm. touch on a little bit today but we have these rules, this guidebook about how we are to be with our bodies and, you know, about sex and about touch based on how we're raised. Yeah. Like a good girl doesn't do this or like a good boy doesn't whatever. And we carry these into our relationships. And I have a whole workshop with Asherina about like intimacy in after babies because we carry these rules with us essentially and these rules start at these ages with our children so when we think about consent and we think about touch and we think about body exploration and shame I feel like this is a, a moment to talk about children understanding and exploring their own bodies Uh, And I do have the boys that are starting to understand their bodies a little bit and do some like humping of stuffies or rubbing and starting to understand that there are some sensations with their bodies. I don't know if this pertains to consent specifically, but I feel like when we're talking about reducing this shame piece, this is a really important thing to be able to facilitate, I think, for our kids, right? Or have non-shaming conversations around. Can we unpack that for a minute? Yes. I am so excited that you said that because I get a lot of questions from moms and it's always like, like, don't tell anybody, but my toddler, you know, humps a stuffed bear and I don't know what to do about it. But it's actually very common and it makes sense. Like kids are so common. It's so common. And there's a lot of parental shame. Like, what have I done that my child is doing this sexual act? 
and it's nothing that you've done and it's not necessarily that your child is trying to be this sexual person they're ex- no and they are i mean we are all born with all these different sensations and your child's just trying to figure out oh if i do this it feels like this that's a really interesting feeling i want to see you know kind of where that takes me and it's not this bad horrible thing that your child's doing so i think it's just important <laughs> i'm just glad that we can just kind of get that out there and and just kind of normalize the fact that that happens girls and boys that happens very common yeah for boys and girls it does happen girls parents will talk about doing a lot of like rubbing on yes. things you know finding like a couch arm or a piece of a couch or something mm-hmm. like that boys may be like humping or rubbing on things and it doesn't have the same like we interpret it through the lens of like being a very like sexualized thing yes. where for them it, it probably feels good and soothing but it's not sexual it's like sensory if that makes sense like they're not giving the same meaning to it in their minds as we're giving it yeah but this is very common and natural and normal and we can place some boundaries on that so how do you usually guide parents in that yeah so i kind of look at a few things like i look at how often is this happening where is it happening that kind of thing yeah like so for some parents it's just like you know, really every now and then they'll just see their, their daughter, let's say, yeah, yeah, sitting on the edge of a couch, kind of wiggling around and noticing how that feels. And for that, I just, and it's there, it's just them home for that. I say, okay, well, it's not too much. Like we can kind of just leave that alone. Like it might just be a little bit of exploration. It's not happening all the time. It's not, there's not a lot of people around. And sometimes if that happens, then it just happens a few times. And then they're kind of like, okay, interesting. And that's kind of it. For other parents, they may have a child who wants to do it all the time. And they're finding their child kind of doing that all the time. They're in public situations. You know, grandparents are around. Other people are getting uncomfortable, maybe making comments about it. Then I would maybe set some boundaries. I would try and do it in such a calm, very shame-free way. I would not do it around anybody else, like not around your other kids, not around Mm -hmm. the grandparents that are there. I might take my child aside and just say, hey, like, You know, I noticed you kind of rubbing uh, on the couch. Um, What's that feeling like? And just keep it open-ended. Let them have the conversation with you. Yeah. And see what they say. They might just say, oh, yeah, it kind of feels good or it feels interesting. And you could just say, yeah, I see that. And um, that's okay. But just so you know, when we rub our private parts against something, that's a private thing. Just like our private parts are private. That's something that we can do in a private spot. And then you could say, like, where where would a good private place be that's a spot just for you? So that kind of goes back to that other discussion we had. And they could go to the bedroom or the bathroom, somewhere that's private for them. And you just want to do it in a way that's shame-free. Like, it's just so you know, this is okay. Like, a lot of kids do this. But because it involves your private parts, it is something that's private. And so that's how I approach it. I don't know how you approach it, but... Um, I found that that's pretty helpful. Totally. Things that had to do with, you know, our private parts or like our penis. And we will do that in our private spaces, right? So like with the boys, I'm using it generally speaking, because heaven forbid one of them ever listened to this back and hate me for the rest of their lives, sort of. So generally speaking, the boys will... It's like a like a more habitual thing. It's usually at bedtime when we're trying to soothe to sleep. It's sort of like this like soothing behavior that has been adopted, right? Yeah. 
helping to fall to sleep. And so, but it was starting to happen like in the living room around brothers or whatever. So the conversation was just like really sort of matter of fact. It's like, if you want to do that, if it feels good, then we can take that to your room and you do that, you know, in your own space or in your private area. And when we're here, you can come and snuggle mommy or you can do this and like offering some alternatives, knowing that it's a very soothing behavior. Like, mm-hmm. do you want to come and snuggle or do you want to go in this? And Because it, it, it's not about, it's not like he's like has an erection and is like trying to like achieve an orgasm. Like no. he, they're little, you know, it's not what our mind goes to. He's just like kind of bored and self-soothing. Like it's a very different thing. Yeah. So we do sort of say, like, if that feels good and you want to do that, you can go to your room with that. But here in the common space, like, you know, come snuggle mommy or do something else, you know. And he usually, like, shifts us through. And it's totally fine after that. So I think that when you talked about being raised in, like, a good Christian home, I also have, you know, a very traditional background. There was just so much shame associated with exploration of our own bodies growing up for me personally and within you know um my like family friend group and things oh yeah that again when we're talking about reducing shame that's just such a natural part of being human that i don't ever want the kids to feel shame about because they're just human and it's like sensory and and there's no meaning to it right now and it helps them go to sleep and it's just there's nothing wrong with that you know yeah exactly I think when we can take the shame out of even touching our body parts and I know like we've come such a long way I had such an interesting discussion with my grandmother who is close to 90 and we were talking about pregnancy and birth and she was telling me when her mother was pregnant she wouldn't even tell the kids she was like oh yeah she would like she had so much shame about being pregnant that she would like hide her pregnancy and all of a sudden one day you'd come home and there'd just be a baby there oh my goodness and I was like how do you not realize she's pregnant but she said yeah like she would never like we would never ever talk about that because I was talking with my mom because now she hears me talk about consent and all this stuff so it's definitely so different and so it's interesting to think like over the years, like how far things have changed. And I think it's amazing because we can talk about these things and set our kids up for success and to not have shame about their body parts. But just even within a few generations, things have changed a lot. It is amazing. And like, as we're recording this, it's Pride Month and it probably won't be when this airs, but like being able to teach my kids that love is love, being able to raise feminist boys, being able to raise like anti-racist children. Like it is such a, there's the, the stakes feel high and there's a lot of pressure in this like intensive mothering time that we're in. Everyone feels like we have to be an expert in everything. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with parenting right now, Mm -hmm. but it's also so, amazing to be parenting in this generation of like the kids that come out of this generation are just going to be so freaking awesome like they're going to be so cool so honestly I have like goosebumps as you're saying it like it just feels like such a privilege to raise kids right now even though it does feel hard and like we have all these extra weights and responsibilities like if I think about you know my grandmother who barely would talk to her mother and all of a sudden there'd just be a baby there to me with my daughter who can have these open conversations. We can talk about all of these hard things and she feels safe to come to me. It's just so incredible to think 
how that is going to serve our kids and the generations to come after that. And protect other people too. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to do an episode on this one day because I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I do, I follow other providers that talk about like birthing people and for all menstruators, you know, as OBGYNs and things. And to be able to talk to my children about like birthing people and trans people who are birthing and becoming like just to raise children who are inclusive and respectful. Like, I don't know, it's a really cool and powerful time to be able to shape little minds like that. When we talk about and thinking about wrapping up here, and when we talk about, I get a reel it back in from like, mm-hmm. <laughs> from that. I know, I'm like getting so excited. I know, excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I love being a mom. This is my mission in life, you know, um, which is yeah. really, it, it really is. It really feels, uh, it's the most important job in the world. And for all the moms listening, like the work that you do, our society is built on the backs of mothers raising children and amazing. Um, It's so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so for moms who are wondering how to navigate these conversations, particularly with grandparents, maybe we can leave off with a couple of sort of like scripts or tips for like how I can say to my mom, you know, no, he doesn't have to hug you or we respect that they don't want to give kisses or whatever. Like what are some, some little tidbits we can leave people with? Yeah, for sure. I think that the grandparent thing is something that there's a lot to unpack there. And so I kind of say to parents like, well, when the grandparents feel disrespected because they can't have a hug, what are they actually feeling? Like what's actually going on there? Like, are they feeling like you didn't like their parenting and you totally disagree with everything they've done? Because I know that there can be some hurt there from grandparents, right? Like, well, I did this and you're okay. So why can't they just give me a hug? Are they feeling disconnected? Like hugs are like a physical way to connect with their grandchild. And maybe do they need another way? Like, you know what? We don't force a hug, but here's another great way. Like you can go play Legos with him or go on a walk or take him to the park. And he loves to connect that way. So kind of getting curious, especially if you're getting a lot of pushback from grandparents, like where is that pushback really coming from it's probably more than just like this is a respect thing there's probably like a deeper reason for grandparents and from there i like to explain to grandparents just be really upfront you know there's a lot of research on this it's really important for us that he knows that he's in control or she i'm just thinking of your kids now (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) that that he or she knows that they are in control of their body And one way that we're doing this in our home is through letting them say yes or no to hugs. It's up to them. And that's something that we feel really firm about. And so if if they push it and just say, well, that's, it's a non-negotiable for us, but let's think about some other ways that you can connect with him, or this has nothing to do with the way you parented me. This, This is just new information that's just coming out now. And so just like really taking it off them, like this has nothing to do with them, with their parenting, with what they've said or done. This is, this is your choice and it has to do kind of this new information coming out now. I think that can really help and giving them something that they can do, like a creative, a creative yes. Like we talk about with our kids, like you could do a fist bump, exactly that kind of stuff. So I find that kind of acknowledging the feelings, setting that boundary and giving them something they can do 
is really helpful. I love the giving them something that they can do because it's not that they don't want to like love on their grandparents. You know, of course they do. And they want to do it in a way that feels comfortable with them. And especially what we're talking about coming out of COVID and seeing people that we maybe haven't seen in months, it's going to take time for them to warm up and different kids and temperaments are going to go at different paces. And so I know that my kids will like fist bump or high five and that's their comfort level. And then when they're tired and it's nap time at grandma's, it might work into like a snuggle in her lap before nap time, but it doesn't always. And that's okay. So I think that even priming grandparents, you know, that they can say, okay, fist bump or high five, or like they can default to something else as well Mm -hmm. and kind of like follow our kids lead can be really helpful. And I think that this is particularly relevant as we're coming out of COVID or maybe for family members that we don't see that often or children maybe who tend to like hang back and are more reserved because some of my children are really all about being up in, you know, their grandparents' space. And then others really have a bubble and hang back and it's neither one is right over the other it's just their Mm. own comfort level and that's okay yeah you know what I think about that a lot because my one or my 16 month old was born in COVID right and now we're both in Ontario things are opening back up there's people that have never held her as a baby never met her but they're family and friends of ours that we love and appreciate but she has no clue who they are. Right. And she is definitely a very slow to warm child. So all of our like family and friends are like, oh, like we're so excited to see you. They want to hold the baby. They want to touch her. They want, hey, I'm auntie so-and-so. Can I just yeah. squish you? Can I they just like, her? yeah. <laughs> and she is literally like, I mean, she's COVID baby. She's glued to me. She looks terrified. Like right. she will literally let me, my husband, our babysitter and my mom touch her. Like she won't even let my dad, like, so I think about that a lot, especially as we come out of the lockdown and just like having those conversations and saying like, it's not about you, but like you do kind of need to get to know her before getting into her space. Like it's not fair. And I appreciate that you love her. Like, so those conversations can be hard to have. And I know I've been having those a lot lately as well. Yeah. This has been such a fun and rich conversation to take something that is, you know, maybe feels heavy or daunting to some and make it feel really like rich. And, you know, we've laughed and I've been like borderline tears thinking about how amazing it is to mother these children. Where can people find you online? I know that you've got a lot of incredible resources for parents and about parenting kids with, you know, these big feelings and things. So where are you hanging out online? Yeah, well, I'm always on Instagram. So that's probably the best place to find me, Our Mama Village. And I'm not sure when this episode's going to be airing, but I'm creating right now like a, it's called a body safety starter guide. And it's about 16 pages long. It has a bunch of printables that you can even give to like a grandparent or put up around your house. It's really beautifully designed. And that'll be added as a bonus to my parenting course. I have a parenting course. It's really comprehensive, covers a whole bunch of topics. But this will be added as a bonus for anybody who wants and they can print it off, give it to whoever. And I think it's really helpful as a place to start with body safety. Yeah. 
That's really great. And we'll link all of your like your course and your Instagram and everything in the show notes and in the blog that will uh, be created with this. This is probably going to air sometime mid to late July or so. And we'll link to all of that. But I've taken your course. I've learned from you so much and had some really rich conversations. So I really encourage you guys to check out Jess's course. It is really comprehensive, has lots of like great scripts and things to do with especially managing big, (laughs) big emotions in kids, because holy smokes, we know (laughs) whether it's my big emotions or their big emotions, there's often a lot of big emotions. (laughs) Yeah, we cover it all. We cover your own triggers and we cover your children. So yeah, it definitely covers it all. Yeah. And we're just revamping it now. So the update should be out by the time this podcast is out. Great. So we'll link all of that in the show notes, or you can find Jess at Our Mama Village on Instagram. Thank you so much, Jess, for joining us today. Thanks so much, Erica. This was amazing. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that we're discussing today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up, you're doing a great job.